This is the Tribune Audio Network. This episode of Eat It Virginia is brought to you by your locally owned and operated McDonald's restaurants. National First Responders Day is October 28th. Show your first responder ID for a free sandwich. I mean, I just remember mid-meal, both my husband and I were just, jaw was on the table. We just, I stopped taking notes. I mean, that's when I know a meal is good is when I stop taking notes because it's just so... Like, I just feel like my, my, my soul has been lifted from my body, and I'm not even, like, thinking about the food anymore. I'm just enjoying it. It's Monday, May 20th. On the podcast, we have Justin Lowe, the Times-Dispatch food critic. We talk about soft-shell crabs and something I really hate about Richmond diners. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It Virginia. My name is Scott Wise and I'm here with my co-host, Roby Martin. Roby, the smile on your face is so big and pretty right now. What are you thinking? Oh, you know, I just like the fact that you have your hands in your air. It's like a mohawk. Have you had a rough day today? All my days are beautiful, <laughs> Roby. I'm really excited about today's episode. Meeting Justin Lowe from the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He's got a rubric. I mean, did you expect that? I'm not even sure what a rubric is, but I <laughs> can't wait to hear about it. Um, Sadly, yeah. we got to talk about the fact that we don't have Booth again today. Oh, yeah. I know. Guy, that guy is so busy. Everybody wants him. Did another podcast steal Booth, did we think? You know what? I bet you that he was stolen. Mm, pi- podcast pirates took our friend Booth. Yeah, I will say this. If you guys do want to see Booth, he does have his big rosé tasting on May the 23rd, Thursday night. It's like a massive, massive rosé palooza thing, like every rosé you can think of. I think he calls it the Big Pink. I want to talk about rosé for a second. Okay. Because our friends from Williamsburg Winery came into Channel 6 the other day. Sure. And... Uh, uh, unsolicited, I was given a can of rosé yes. from Williamsburg Winery. My jealousy is palpable. And I put it in my fridge. And it exploded. Did not explode. <laughs> but on Friday night, big rockin' Friday for me, I came home. This is why your hair looks like this. <laughs> cracked open my rosé. Now, this is what I'm confused about. Because I, okay. I didn't ask ahead of time. I just assumed that when you get a wine in a can, which I'd never had before, okay. that you drink it out of the can and you don't pour it into a wine glass. Well, I mean, I feel like you could do either. Okay, I chose the former, drink it out of the can. It's because you're a bachelor and dirtying up a glass would be ridiculous. And <laughs> when you drink out of a can, or when I do at least... You feel more manly? <laughs> well, no. I drink it you fa- smashed it you against your head? Fast. You drink fast. Oh, it's like you, oh. tr- you, you drink a beer, you it's, drink a soda. The glass is slower? I think so. Well... Yes, it's slower for me. Anyway, personal <laughs> okay. preference. Huh. Did it taste like the can? No, it tasted it tasted really good. Actually, I don't really drink rosé so much, but the point is, I drank it really fast, and I got really buzzed really quickly. And was and it's a regular size can, right? It's a twelve ounce can. Okay, uh, three hundred and seventy five milliliters, which the woman who gave it to me um, made a point of telling me it's half a bottle of wine. Of wine. So. I basically chugged half a bottle of wine and sitting on my couch watching Netflix or whatever. We got to get you a life. <laughs> come on. Like you were not drinking wine watching Netflix this week. I mean, come on. Let's, I mean, let's be real. Every night. Exactly. So if you had to guess how much, and this is maybe a little bit of a sensitive spot because we did put it on the Instagram and see how everybody feels and they got really excited about that. Um, if you were to guess how much that one can cost, what would you guess? Interestingly enough, I can't answer that question because I went to Wegmans later on that week and bought myself another can. So I know exactly how much it costs. And were you surprised or not surprised at the $8 price tag? I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense because you're going to pay 12 or $15 for a bottle of wine. Sure. So half a bottle of wine, it makes sense. When I first saw the price, I thought that was for a six-pack, though. I honestly did. I thought because all the cans were kind of lined up together. I was like, oh, a six-pack for $8.99 or $7.99. I don't but know. $4 a glass. If it's a half a bottle of wine, $4 a glass is not terrible. It does the job quickly, I must say. So, so fast to the brain for $8. We have some breaking restaurant, Richmond restaurant news, Roby. Actually, it's a more, al- more alcohol. Would you call yeah. it restaurant or alcohol? I would say it's a nice, it's a healthy combination of the two. Okay. Uh, Roby, was, I just posted on our Instagram at Eat It Virginia that uh, Roby literally just broke some news on the phone. Today is Thursday. The news comes out Friday. This podcast is Monday. But trust me, she had it. Am- <laughs> she was among the first people to actually have the news. Nobody's gonna know that because they're gonna hear I just this told Monday. Them. Okay. Well, they will believe you. Air quotes. Uh, so the. Why don't you break the news? So I just spoke with Patrick Murtaugh over at Hardywood, and they are going to open a restaurant in the brewery with Joe Sparata. 
In the West Creek Brewery. In Hardywood, West Creek. It's going to be fast casual. So Heritage and Hardywood Heritage are coming together. And Hardywood West are coming together. So two super notable, well-thought Indi- out individuals with their branding, with their what they serve, with how much they support Virginia are merging in West Creek for a restaurant inside the brewery. I'm thrilled. So what kind of details did you get? Um, I got that it is going to open in fall of 2020 and that it'll be fast casual and that we are going to have them on the podcast here in the next couple of episodes, maybe three down the road, and they're going to tell us more. Beautiful. Anything that Sparata puts out there is going to be... I think it's going to be great. I'm super excited. I guess they're going to start working on the menu here shortly. I'm hoping that they'll give us a few more details as stuff sort of pans out. So I have some things happening. Oh. Do you want to hear about these? Me personally or everybody? Is it Uh, personal stuff? No, it's I have some things happening where you could actually come and see me as opposed to just hear me. Okay. Want to do that? Let's do it. Where are you going to be? Well, you can't. Why? Well, you can come to the real local one, which is on Monday. So we have a whole Women in Food Week, and um, well, a female in food. And so I'm hosting or moderating the Women in Food panel at Real Local, which is at St. Stephen's at 10 on Monday, June 3rd. Okay. And then you cannot come to the whiskey one. Why not? I love whiskey. Yes. Well, you're just going to have to drink it with your buddies after. Okay. Because we have Women in Whiskey, which is happening at Reservoir on Tuesday night, and I'm moderating that. And so it's a, it's a panel discussion with women with, in the industry, the leaders? It leader, is with the, one of the individuals that helps make Reservoir Whiskey, which you know that you love. I've, I've heard by, through the grapevine you've already finished the mini bottles. My two mini bottles are now gone thanks to Game of Thrones and my friends with whom I watch the show with. Nice. Yeah. Well, we might be able to locate you another mini bottle. I'm going to be there on Tuesday night with Beth Dixon, who is the bar manager at Perch, and then a couple of individuals who are very familiar with whiskey, Shelley, who wrote a book on it. And literally wrote a book on it. Literally wrote a book on it. So wow. that'll be fun. And it, it's a it's a super, super intimate group. There's only about 30 tickets. Then on Thursday, I'm not moderating this, but we are our good friend Stephanie Gans, at Sal Gans, if you want to follow that egg on Instagram, is moderating a whole nother group of women in food that's with in conjunction with RebelCon, which is by Shannon Seriano. Um, they're going to get together and talk to individuals like Alex Graff and Kelly Lemon, all sorts of fun stuff happening. And then Wednesday, we have something happening at Nota Bene. We just went Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Yeah, I like it like okay. that. And, and Monday night, if you go to St. Stephen's thing, if you don't go to St. Stephen's thing, Seco is adding women winemakers to their flight night. It's so many things. Dude, you guys got to rewind this part of the podcast. <laughs> listen to it again. Jot it all down. I'm thoroughly confused. Just know that Women in Food Week is June 1st through June 7th, and there's something happening every night and sometimes during the day with women in food. And I'm not invited to any of it. You can. Come to the Thursday one. Will Justin Lowe be there? Justin Lowe will not be there, but he's here, and we're going to talk to him about reviewing restaurants in Richmond. So we have Justin Lowe with us today, and so let's just walk through who you are, but for people that may not know. Um, well, for most people who probably do not read my reviews, I am the Richmond Times-Dispatch food critic, or one of the new food critics. Um, I jo- joined Joe Lord on that job around February of this year, so okay. I started reviewing not too long ago. So well, a little. So I bit. don't have a huge body of work. Well, you will, and, I mean, or probably a huge following. <laughs> well, well time other to than smash, my mother-in-law. Well, I, I, then and your mother-in-law husband. knows what she's doing, which is <laughs> awesome. So you are. What would you say? Every mm-hmm. other week at the TD. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Richmond.com for people that read online. I think that was the understanding that I'd be alternating with Joe. So walk me through how you got here. As I say, start when you were four. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I'm that completely. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, um, you're not from Richmond. I'm not from Richmond originally. Um, I grew up in Hawaii, uh, have always been very passionate about food. Um, Hawaii is a very interesting place to, in terms of the food scene because it is very. Um, are you taking a picture of me? No oh, pictures okay. of that guy because we oh. don't want to out him in his oh, restaurant. Oh, okay. it's okay. It's okay. I actually, I mean, I have. I have. Uh, I just deleted it. No, it's okay. We're there talk are, about there the are, pictures here in a second and there how are pictures of me online. I actually, it's funny that you say that. So I stopped reviewing food for Style Weekly three years ago. And the reason why I stopped when we talked about it is, A, 
obviously fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've reviewed food for 10 years, it's a really hard to be like, hey, this is tasty. What is another word for that? Yeah. You, I mean, yeah. I'm sure you mm-hmm. feel it and mm-hmm. you're just, I mean, you're, you're, you've been in food for a little bit longer. You're not just starting out. But like, it's just like, oh crap, what else do I say? And then it was like, Roby, people know what you look like. At least at this point, I just think that people don't care. I mean, even if they recognize me, I don't think they're going to change it's also too late at that point. If a restaurant critic kind of walks into your restaurant unannounced, it's a little too late to really change your entire formula. And for the most part, it, I think it's easy enough to evaluate a place, notwithstanding the fact that they might recognize you. It's a great statement. Service is service, you know. And If a restaurant critic walks into your restaurant, it's a little too late to change your formula. That's brilliant. It's too late to turn back at that mm-hmm. point. Let's get back. Your menu is your menu. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. there now. <laughs> Let's get back to your upbringing. We started mm-hmm. to talk about uh, Hawaii. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Hawaii, uh, kind of developed my love for food there. My family, Chinese family, obsessed with food. All we did was eat. You know, that was the whole point of going on vacation was so we could eat. Everything else was sort of meant to fill the space between meals. Um, and Hawaii is, an, I, was, I was saying, Hawaii is an interesting place because of the food scene there is so different than anywhere else I've ever lived. Um, it's a very diverse place culturally. Um, and it's where I sort of developed my love for things like Korean stews and Korean barbecue and, you know, the original poke bowl, not this bowl that everyone's pushing these days. Am I allowed to swear on this? <laughs> you okay. did now. <laughs> um, I love, I love and then, so, uh, so that's sort of where I, uh, that's, that was my, my growing up experience. And then, left for college uh, on the East Coast and got my first entree, got, dipped my toe into the New York food scene and just fell in love with it. I mean, had food experiences there when I was going to college that I had never had before growing up in Hawaii. You know, that's where I had my first uh, piece of bone marrow um, and developed my love for things like ramps, which I, I guess are very popular here in Richmond as well. Um, and in college, I did start doing some food writing for my college newspaper. Um, not food reviews, but I did. I wrote a lot of food profiles of chefs. Um, I was going to school in New Haven at a little-known place called Yale, um, and I was very interested in the food scene there because, much like Richmond, it was kind of still getting up and running. But people were doing really interesting things, and I wanted to document that. So, you know, I. I pitched the editor of the college newspaper that, you know, I want to interview these restaurateurs and chefs and kind of convey what their vision was and what they were bringing to the New Haven food scene. And so that's how I started doing a little bit of food writing. Um, and then uh, my life kind of took a detour and I went to law school. Um, but then after law school, we moved to New York, again, kind of got immersed in the food scene again um and it's 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 uh it's definitely much easier to experience the new york food scene when you're uh, on a lawyer's salary so i that my husband and i we ate out a lot tried a lot of different restaurants in new york felt i feel like we got really familiar with the new york food scene and then of course um he got an offer to come here to teach at richmond law school and uh, never dreamed that, you know, moving here, I'd become the restaurant critic for the Richmond Times. But so, you know, coming here, that wasn't, that didn't really cross my mind. I got a great job here in state government where I worked during the day as a lawyer. Um, but yeah, the, this opportunity just came, came my way. And I, I feel very fortunate to have been, a, been there at the right place, right time. Um, and that Carrie Pfeiffer at the Richmond Times was willing to take a risk on me. I don't think she took a risk. I like your review. <laughs> I mean, you Thank know, you. And I, I mean, I, I, Carrie, that's not to man that you didn't take a risk, but like, I really think that you're doing a great job. I, um, I'm enjoying reading your stuff. I think that you add a fresh eyeball to us. We were just discussing new people coming in for the LBs because the judges are not individuals that are from here mm-hmm. so the lbs you know the winners sometimes they aren't a surprise but they're like whoa this is what this person said so i think fresh eyes are great for the richmond dining community yeah i mean you know my how i got into contact with carrie too was 
when we moved here, I had no real sort of pre-existing notion of what the food scene was like. I assumed it wasn't going to be like New York, um, but I was pleasantly surprised at, in some ways, I think, I think I wrote this in my intro column for the Times, that I think people are doing more interesting, more willing to take risks here than they were in New York. I, I kind of felt like New York was a little, people end up having a, developing a very blase attitude towards food there because there's so, there, it, it's almost like overstimulation when you're in New York City. It's like a new restaurant opens up, it barely makes a blip because there are so many restaurants opening up every single week. And so you kind of get a little, what's what's the word? I, I just numb to it. Sure. Um, and I think Richmond is still very much, people are really excited because the food scenes, the food scene is kind of taking off. It sort of feels like it's kind of still in its, um, you know, early formative, um, um, an early it's formative like stage. Yeah, almost. it's vibrating almost. And the um, the chefs here, I think, are just so creative with what they're doing. Even the and the craft cocktails are like, you know, um, Katie Best at Alewife. Like what she's doing is amazing. Um, and so I got really excited about the Richmond food scene, and I had been reading some of the reviews, and I. Crossed my mind that I could bring a different perspective, maybe a different approach to the way that reviews were being done, um, and just bringing a new voice. You know, part of what I think I bring to the table is just a lot of you know the best training I think for a food critic is to have tried a lot of things and to uh, uh, you know to have get, had been been exposed to a wide range of dining experiences and to have an open mind when it comes to food. And I think I. I think that's sort of what I was hoping to bring to the table. That was a question that mm -hmm. I had. Uh, of the three of us here at the table, I'm the only one that's not been a restaurant uh, critic. So uh, my question is, when you go to a restaurant, what are you looking for immediately? What, do you, what, do your, what kind of preconceived notions do you put aside, or what do you bring in from your past to, hmm. to review the current place that you're, that you're dining? What's an interesting thing, I actually think in many ways everyone's a restaurant critic. Everyone's entitled to be one. Um, and I think that's what makes it both interesting and challenging as, you know, formally at being the restaurant critic is you have to, you're kind of, I mean, I think your voice is no less, matters no, le no more than um, any other person who goes to a restaurant and, you know, their experience there. Um, and in some ways, I, I actually think there's, there's, a, there's some similarity between the law, um, my day job, and... Uh, the food world, which is that even if you're not a professional, even if you're not a, you know, a newspaper food critic, you're still entitled to your opinion. Everyone has an opinion about the law and what, you know, what justice should look like and what, what's fair and what's not fair. Similarly, everyone has an opinion about what tastes good and what doesn't taste well, good. I mean, truly everyone eats. Yeah. So like, that's a very and, good point. And yeah. so there's a, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm definitely up against that I think in that you know no matter what I say other people are entitled to disagree and that's and that's great because that's that food should be democratic in that way um so what I do try to do when I go into a restaurant is I try to think about what perspective I can bring um with respect to the restaurant that's separate from ones that maybe people are already expressing on Yelp you know I don't I want to be able to tell people the service was good, the pacing was good, the food came out hot, but I also want to do something more than that. So I'm every time I go in a restaurant, I'm looking for what is the what is the theme? What is this restaurant doing that's different than any other restaurant? What is it contributing? Um, so, for example, you know, Alewife. One of the things that Obviously, the f I had a great dining experience there, and so like I wanted to document that as well. But I was when I went there, I was looking for what is it that Alewife is doing that that is different than another restaurant. And the thing that stood out to me was this concept of reinvention. So my re my review focuses on this idea of both the chef, you know, Lee Gregory leaving Roosevelt, where he had been for nearly a decade, and just kind of starting anew and reinventing himself in that way and how the menu was constantly evolving. So reinvention expressed in that way as well. And also, you know, Katie Best and her cocktail menu kind of 
striving to take things that, um, you know, this sustainability concept, you know, this what's old again is new again concept. Um, so that was sort of my observation when I went to ALF and I tried to, you know, that's, I wanted to bring a perspective about a restaurant that I go to that maybe someone, you know, the ordinary diner might not have had an opportunity to think about and frame the restaurant in that way to make it something that they might, you know, depending on, you know, what I say about it, um, might interest, you know, get people interested in going to a restaurant. Um, and then, you know, Long Oven, my, my sense there was that this was a place that was doing something that was, it was doing something that a lot of world-class dining destinations around the country are doing that maybe has been less accepted here in terms of, you know, the price point. And I was trying to sell people on this idea that we are now uh, an established, we are, if we want to view ourselves in as an established food scene in the way that people view other, you know, the New York food scene or the San Francisco food scene, then we have to accept places that might charge $110 for a tasting menu. So like, I'm, I'm to, to get back to your question, I'm constantly looking for some perspective I can bring that's above and beyond the, you know, food was good, service was good, you know, that, that typical sort of thing you would see on Yelp or whatnot. Honestly, when I started reading your reviews and I reached out to you because I was like, hey, I really like where this guy is going because he's starting to do things like the su sustainability piece at Alewife, mm -hmm. you know, and they're making their own tinctures and they're, you know, soda water and they're tonic. And I mean, like that's all behind the scenes that nobody is seeing. Mm -hmm. So I love that you dug in. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of thoughtfulness at restaurants that I think on the surface you don't get if you're just going there for dinner and looking to have a nice meal. Mm -hmm. You may not, you may not want to think that hard about your food. And that's <laughs> true. That's what I'm, you know, I think like my job is to think hard for you. And hopefully, you know, you'll agree or you might disagree. And that's great. You know, to, I, if, it, if it starts a conversation, then I'm, I'm happy to be doing that. So we've mentioned Alewife and we've mentioned mm -hmm. Long Oven. And mm -hmm. you said that Richmond is taking more risks than, say, restaurants in New York. So where else around town have you gone and been pleasantly surprised? I mean, I mean, obviously, there are places I haven't reviewed and probably can't review at this point because these places have already been reviewed. But um Dutch & Co. was one that made a huge impression on me when we first moved here. Um, uh, obviously, the Roosevelt, I just gave a four-star review to. I think they're doing some interesting things there as well. Um, I went to Heritage for the first time last night, and that was great. I mean, I, I think, and, and, and then, of course, you have um, just all the craft cocktails out there that, you know, I'm, I don't review cocktails, but I'm just, I've, been very pleasant. You drink surprised. them though. I drink I, them. That's I good. do drink them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And if it's, and you, I think you can review them. You drink them. I feel like if we went in that vein, everybody eats. Not everybody drinks, but those that do, I think they can talk about mm -hmm. them. Yeah, it's we fair. do have a really nice cocktail scene here. I think that it's it's been elevated by a, a group of individuals that clearly across the board are very passionate about liquor, yeah. <laughs> which I am. So I'm like really grateful to them and willing to take risks. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What happens when you're uh, sitting in a restaurant for a review and things are off the rails and you know they're off the rails? As a reviewer, what's your responsibility at that point? You mean what do I do in the moment? What do you do in the moment? Like what's going, <laughs> what's going, through, what's going through your mind when you know like this is going to be a terrible review because X, Y, Z is happening around me? I mean, I guess there's it's kind of like a train wreck. There's not much you can do but sit there and let it happen. I mean, And then write about it? I, and then write about it. One could say that in the interests of being transparent, oh, in the interests of being transparent, you know, a food critic, you know, if a chef came up to them after the meal and said, how was it? it seems a little disingenuous to tell, nod and smile and say it was great. On the other hand, I'm not sure it's really, I don't know. I, I'm, that's an interesting question. You know, I've, I've been, before I was a food critic, I so had... So I'm going to interrupt you to say mm -hmm. this. So let's say somebody was coming over to fix your toilet mm -hmm. and the person didn't fix it. Mm -hmm. And so whatever happens in a toilet is still occurring that's off. Mm -hmm. Do you tell them that they didn't fix it? Because that kind of went off the rails. Mm -hmm. So in the interest of saying that they're providing a service, mm -hmm. would you tell the plumber that things that was a train wreck yeah i mean i think if there's something literally that's genuinely, and that's genuinely well 
I usually speak up when something's undercooked, inedible. I mean, I did that before I was a food critic. Sure. But there is a part, I think it might just, I mean, it depends on, from person to person. I know some people are more vocal than others. Um, to a fault, I've been, you know, mortified by, you know, people I've dined with who just like everything they like feel the need to express to a restaurant. And it's just, I think it's a little disrespectful. Um, but I have been, it's, it's funny you mentioned, before I became the food critic, I had an experience at a restaurant that shall not be named where something came out, the dessert came out, and it was horribly undercooked. I mean, the inside was just raw dough. Um, and both my husband and I, you know, we took our first bite of it, and it was awful. We were like, well, let's just let it sit. You know, we're not going to eat it. And then the chef came out <laughs> and asked us, oh, are you enjoying your dessert? And a part of me, you know, the... The, the part of me is like, Justin, you need to do this place of service and just say something. And I was too much of a, I was too chicken to say anything. And instead, what I did was I picked up the piece of raw dough and proceeded to eat it what? in front of the chef and said, oh, it's, it's absolutely delicious. And I have no idea why I did that. I think it's just I, like social, social mores or something like that. I felt like I didn't want to make him feel bad. So... It's tough, and especially when they know you're a restaurant critic. Sure. I think now I'm I'm a little more hesitant too to say something negative because, especially if they know I'm reviewing them, you know, I, I try not to show my hand at all. If it's if it's great, I also try not to show my hand. So it's almost even worse now as a critic. I, I feel like it's even less of my place to kind of. I struggle. I mean, yeah. I truly. I mean, and I've been here. I I would be the first person to be like, "You didn't fix my toilet." I am the last person to be like, "Hmm." This is really, really cruddy. I love a healthy conversation about what are your thoughts here? Where do you go here? But I struggle with saying, yo, dude, we just paid this million dollars for this food experience and it took a huge detour like in the beginning. I, can't, I mean, I can't do it. I can't do it face to face. I truly can't. And I think that more people, as they are becoming more critical online and however mm -hmm. maybe there's a line that we need to start teaching on how to be respectful with you know with talking about how there might be not errors or mistakes but mm -hmm. missteps in dining but i don't have how do you do that there are forums for that where people feel more comfortable expressing their dissatisfaction and you know yelp for instance it it gives people the cover of anonymity to be able to say things that they wouldn't otherwise, you know, especially here, I noticed that people are much less likely than in New York to say things directly to your face if they, you know, disagree with you. Yelp is the bane. Yelp is like the, oh. yeah, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm not a big fan. Although I do like how, again, I like how it's given, it's, it's democratized um, food criticism a little bit more. So it's I not just an elite you know, group sure. of people who are, this is my, this is, I am the authority on food and let me say, you know, that let me be the ultimate arbiter of this restaurant. I think it's given, it's, it's equalizing. It gives other people a voice, even though sometimes, you know, those voices can be insulting. Insulting. You're not somewhat irrational. Yes. <laughs> I, like, on the internet? On the, no, yeah, on the really? Not. Never. It's tough to believe. I don't love it when they're like, this person's an icky person. I'm like, what does that have to do with their food? Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, personal view sure. sometimes needs to be removed. And that's a tough line, too. I mean, as you get to know some of the restaurateurs here in Richmond, they're mm -hmm. lovely human beings. It's tough to, like, put that wall back up and say, oh, this cookie dough was cookie dough. Was that intentional? You know, and also, does it have a raw egg? And should I worry about this later? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's get back a little bit to your process. When you are assigned a restaurant, is that how it works? Are you assigned a restaurant or do you suggest actually, a restaurant? Actually, Carrie is, Carrie gives me the freedom to come up with ideas of places okay. I would like to review. I usually run them by her um, to the extent there's any reason why that restaurant shouldn't be reviewed at a certain, at for, for a certain reason or because it's already been reviewed or because it's just open and you know we think we should give it a little bit of time to sort were of you aware of our reviewing scene before you got here no like as in any of the I tds reviews no 
So you, are you aware there was a tiny blip maybe two years ago with respect to the Richmond Times Dispatch? I only found out about that when I met with Carrie for the first time about my, you know, this idea of doing reviews. Did and that she influence? She filled me in. She did. Did that influence your, um, your thought on taking the job? Um, no, because I guess I'm such a blank slate when it comes to Richmond and the Richmond food scene that I didn't think I, I thought I was far enough removed from all that controversy. I mean, I wasn't even here when all of that stuff went down, um, that you are referring to. Right. So for people that may not know, a couple of years ago, there was an instance with plagiarism at the Times Dispatch and the reviewer that was there. Now, however that goes, whatever your thoughts on that, um, as a individual that writes in the dining scene, it was really hard for the group of us that have been writing not to think, crud, will this, you know, seep over into like thoughts on, you know, mm, it's not about us, but like in your, in the back of your head when it was occurring mm-hmm. in your head as a new person, I love that it didn't make uh, any difference. Well, I guess I'm, I'm just so new and maybe a little naive. It never even crossed my mind that that, and honestly, I really didn't even care. I mean, I my my whole goal was to bring a different perspective and a new voice to food criticism, um, based on you know the reviews I'd read. I just wanted to offer a different sort of perspective. And I love the Forge Forward man. And it's it's possible that you know people do it. It has affected the way people perceive my reviews. I hope not. You know, I hope people are open minded and are willing to see that you know what I'm doing is a little different and being able to take a position um, and to defend that position in a specific and concrete way to avoid conclusory uh, assertions without backing them up. Um, and then, in a, you know, food descriptions, right? Those are very similar to a recitation of facts when it comes to a legal brief. Like you've got to lay out the facts in a way that proves your point. If you didn't break that, if you wouldn't break that mic, but if you dropped it, I would like you to know this is like a physical mic drop. Did you just hear him? I loved it. It was amazing. (laughs) I mean, truly, like if you could have dropped the mic right then, I really love how you put that together. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. He looked at the mic like, did he break it? (laughs) That was the greatest thing ever. We have a zero budget, so if you break it, you're going to buy it. Um, So technical, right? You uh, you were talking about the process. You you mentioned that Carrie, you know, you and Carrie speak about which restaurants you're going to review next. And then when you actually show up at the restaurant, I'm assuming you're not going on a busy Saturday night you're going on a normal night or does it not does it random or how does that work I have been playing with that a little bit because on the one hand it's nice to see a place when it's calm and they can really you know perform at their best so you know going on a Tuesday night is usually better than going on Friday but on the other hand I do like to capture a restaurant in the heat of the moment you know to see if they're capable of because most people most dealing with the crushing a... Saturday dinner service, you know, I mean that, so I do like to go, and, and this is why I like to go at least twice, at least twice to a certain a, a place, because I don't think it's, you know, we've talked about consistency and the restaurant, the dining experience is so, there's so much that can change from day to day. And, you know, restaurants are open, seven, a lot of them are open seven days a week. So, you know, they might perform well on one day and not so well another day. And so it's it's really hard as a food critic to really capture the restaurant as like a fixed thing because there's so much that can vary from day to day. So I do like to, as a representative sample, you know, one restaurant I just reviewed recently, I did a Tuesday dinner service and then a Friday dinner service. And I think for the most part, they were pretty much the same. One was noisier than the other, but in terms of the quality of food. But I can imagine there could be other places where you go on a Tuesday, it's excellent. You go on a Friday, it's not so good. So. And then your food ordering strategy, what is your process there? Well, um, Rovi and I have talked about this. We did have a very, um, we did a very, very interesting conversation about how that might be his process. I was very curious and, about and it too. And Roby, I'm sure, is familiar as a food critic that it's very hard to try everything on the menu. Impossible, um, unless you know you go there every single day times. for forever. <laughs> yes, know. or the menu is three items. I kind of just uh, when I was getting started, I read you know what some other food critics had written about their process and their approach and how they went about choosing uh which dishes to sample um 
And what stuck out in my mind was someone had said, you know, you want to pick the dishes that you think would give the restaurant uh, an opportunity to display their range of abilities. Um, so I usually look for dishes that reflect a certain degree of complexity. I mean, of course, what this ends up meaning is maybe I might not try a dish like a steak that I think is looks delightful and simply prepared, but to me wouldn't reflect from display for me what the restaurant is fully capable of. I do like to think about what the restaurant is trying to do and who they're catering to. Absolutely. But obviously, if you go to a steakhouse, I mean, that's naturally what I would... I oh, d- definitely, totally I would ordering, not not Absolutely order ordering fish at steakhouse. <laughs> One hundo. The salad bar, right? Oh, just, yeah, big... Oh, I, no, a wedge salad all day and a baked potato, in my face. Yeah, yes. I am always shocked when I read reviews of places and you're like, you ordered the chicken at... Peter Luger's like, or you know, something. I'm like, <laughs> it why better be good chicken at Peter Luger. Would... <laughs> God, we we really do talk quite a bit over and uh, over Instagram feel, messenger, and out. you should. Is there a group Instagram? We, we, there, I think there is, but he he's Justin. Come on, man. Sometimes we see eye to eye, and sometimes we don't, and we mm-hmm. have a great discourse about like, what are your thoughts on this? And recently, we've been back and forth on star ratings, mm. which. I think is a really great conversation to have, especially in Richmond. So I'm going to delineate. And it's not just a conversation that we're having in Richmond. It's a conversation that we've been having nationally too. I mean, there was a, you know, I mentioned to you, there was the SF food critic who completely shook things up, said, I'm I'm going to do do away with star ratings. So they don't mean anything. And some, you know, some of the, you know, the millennials I said were very much in support of that. They, they love the idea that we're not, you know, Putting boxing labels, in, boxing mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, um, but then some of the more some established food people yeah. keep the stars about it. Yeah, fifteen years in a row, we've mm-hmm. been the four-star restaurant. All of a sudden, the stars are gone. The, the stars are gone, and it, and you no longer can say that. So to delineate between the two JLs that are reviewing at the Times Dispatch, mm-hmm. we have Justin Lowe here with us, and his partner as a reviewer over at the Times Dispatch is Joe Lord, mm-hmm. right? Correct. So they obviously still use stars at the Times Dispatch, Style Weekly no longer stars, Richmond Magazine stars. And from one reviewer to another reviewer, because there's going to be difference in stars, right? Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Like, what are your thoughts there? The concern you raise, I think, is a valid one, and it's one we should be looking at. I'm thinking about ways that we could achieve a little more stability in the starring system. I think that it's still difficult to do, and I'm not really sure what the answer is in terms of what the fix would be. Um, because I don't know, is there to fix because on the, there even needs to be one? Because on the one hand, it would require a little bit more standardization, right? But on the other hand, one of the things that I think is really great about the way the Richmond Times does their food reviews is that the food reviewers are completely autonomous. We are independent agents. You know, Carrie edits my reviews, but she is really good about letting the reviewers make the final call when it comes to the stars. So there's 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 no pressure to, you know, change our starring. Our starring is our starring. And I know I, for one, take my starring very seriously. I have a whole rubric of things that I consider... And then also I consider it more holistically as well. But I do have a, I have a rubric of things that I consider and, you know, one star, you know, here's, here's this first category I consider did the, you know, I can walk you through it. I mean, the first category is sort of basic requirements for a restaurant. Services, service time, there are seats. <laughs> you know, well, some restaurants don't have seats, so I guess not. To. Yeah, you know, the restaurant didn't catch food. fire. When they I, have food. You, yeah, yeah, they have food. Um, <laughs> You were given a utensil with yeah, steam. Yeah, yeah, basic stuff. I mean, um, and then the second category, I consider what their sort of overall vision is. Is it, you know, what their, what the intentionality is with respect to their food? And then third category, do they execute on that vision? And how well do they execute on the vision? Um, and sometimes the vision could be great, but the execution could be horrible, right? Um, so I try to sep- keep those two categories. I try to honor the vision. I try to say, like, this place deserves credit for at least having a vision that's that's worthy of an extra star. And then the fourth category is more intangible. I try to just consider what the whole sort of – are there any plus factors? Are they doing something really good for the community? 
Um, do they, is their food give you that like touchy feel, touchy warm feeling that like makes you really I happy? I only eat at places that give me the warm fuzzies. And like you're like walking on it. clouds yes. as you leave the a, restaurant. A cloud you know? walk from the restaurant. I love that as a four star. And so, you know, I, I know you and I have talked about a little, debated a little bit about what qualifies for four star restaurant. Um, and I think at least in my, under my definition, I, I try not to, use perfection as the standard just because I think my view is that restaurants, no restaurant is perfect. Every restaurant could do something to get better and improve. And I hope that's the, I, I think like in order for our food scene to get better, we need people to have that attitude that, that we can always do something to, to do better. Um, and so if perfection is not the standard, I try to, my, I try to, a four-star restaurant for me is one where you leave walking on clouds. You have that transcendent moment. And it's hard to describe, but it happens every so often, very rarely. But, you know, and I, and I think it's, it's possible that the rest, a restaurant can have that effect on one person and not have that effect on another person, which is what makes reviews a little difficult and a little subjective. But, for example, Long Oven, I mean, I just remember mid-meal, both my husband and I were just, jaw was on the table. We just, I stopped taking notes. I mean, that's when I know a meal is good is when I stop taking notes because it's just so, like, I just feel like my, my, my soul has been lifted from my body and I'm not even, like, thinking about the food anymore. I'm just enjoying it. You're listening to Justin Lowe, the Richmond Times-Dispatch food critic, and he just gave our podcast four stars. He's going to leave I here did. walking on clouds because <laughs> we're transcendent. Thanks so much Thank for joining Thank you for us. having me. Real quick before you go, mm -hmm. what is a restaurant you think people should be going to now? Long Oven. Long Oven it is. It's Eat It Virginia with Roby and Scott. So, Roby. Yes, Scott. It's not, it's, not, <laughs> it's not polite to talk about ages, but we're going to talk about ages right now. Okay. Because the country is celebrating a very important birthday. It's the 40th anniversary of the first Happy Meal. Do you remember your first time well, it, I feel, a Happy Meal? I got to say this. The Happy Meal is as old as I am. Aww. I know. You both age so gracefully. Oh, that's so good. The chicken nuggets still do look good, don't they? Always. So tell us what uh, McDonald's is doing to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Happy Meal. The same thing I got when I turned 40, a surprise party. They're Ooh. doing a surprise Happy Meal. So what does that entail? Any toys. What kind of toys? Surprise. All right. They're toys from the last 40 years. Oh, do you remember what the toys were when we were kids? I don't know, but I'm crossing my fingers for a Muppet baby. Was, it, was there an E.T. toy or a Star Wars? That's what I liked when I was e. a kid. E.T. phone home toy? That, that's the one. Oh, Star Wars. Who do you like? In Star Wars? Yes. Han Solo. Duh. Why are you even asking that question? So you want a Han Solo toy? Absolutely. So you do know when you can get one? Tell me. If if that's the surprise, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise, on November the 7th is when they're going to start the 40th anniversary with all of the surprise toys from the last 40 years. We want to thank Justin Lowe for being with us in the last segment. Thank you, Justin. Gosh, I tell you what. Listening to him makes me... I mean, it makes me almost want to be a food critic again. Makes me want to have gone to Yale. I know. Just a smart right? dude. Just a small school. You may have heard of it. Yale. I mean, come on. Actually, I got a question for you, though, because he talks about the stars in restaurants. And I don't know if you saw the um, most recent article of the L.A. Times. They're trying to decide if they're going to bring him back. Yeah. I, you know, for me, the stars, they don't, they don't do much for me. I'd rather read what a critic has to say about a restaurant or an experience than a star. Because if there's, especially if there's multiple people reviewing, Roby has a different star system than Justin, has a different star system than the other food critic from another publication. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard. That's when you need a rubric. You need a rubric. I, you, he's really right. I feel like they, if you don't have like all those things in place, then people are like, I may think that three stars is not that great, while somebody might think that three stars are absolutely excellent. When we popped that up on the Instagram to ask whether or not people do like stars or do not like stars, I got a billion messages that, that said only stars that matter are Michelin stars. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, well, there you go. All right. Have we ever had a Michelin star restaurant in Richmond? No. Never. Um, we got some email in the old mailbag, eatitvirginia at gmail.com. I'm going to read nice. these out for you. I can't Maybe wait. Maybe answer some of his questions. This is from Paul. Hey, Paul. Paul writes, hi. I was wondering if you were interested in our free of cost audit report for your website. <laughs> yes, I 
Let me know your thoughts and suggest me a good time to call you. Question mark, question mark. Regards, Paul. Hey, Paul. Of course. I mean, who doesn't want a free audit? All right, here we go. This is from Gail. Hey, Gail. She writes, what kind of snake is this? (laughs) Oh, no. Here's a picture. Do you know what kind of snake that is? (laughs) Um... Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not sure why she thought we would know what kind of snake it is. But. I want you guys to know that this is a black and white picture of an actual snake. Get your minds out of the gutter. It's an actual snake. We got an email from our number one fan, Dina. Hey, Dina. Dina writes, I currently receive CBS 6 News' news blasts. I'd like to continue to receive those. However, not the Eat It Virginia emails. She I did not. Food? Su- I did not subscribe to Eat It Virginia. I would like to stop receiving these emails. How can I stop? Nope, can't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what, Dina? We like you too much. If we added a free lunch somewhere to your email, Gina, would you want to keep? And I'm not joking. I will treat you to lunch if you tell me that you actually. Or you know what? Just tell me why you don't want to. That's all. That's all we need to know. All right, Dina. I will take her to lunch if she tells us why she doesn't want. If you happen to be listening to this podcast that you Which seemingly you hate, really hate, Ruby will take you out to lunch. Last email. Sure. This is from Dennis. Um. Hello. Is it also a snake? No, this is a totally different topic. Hello. <laughs> I am having my birthday party on the 27th, June 2019, and I want it held at your venue. Also, <laughs> okay. I would like to know... How many people do you think you can fit in here, Also, Scott? I would like to Four? know if you accept credit card for payment. <laughs> Absolutely. I Send awa- us your number. <laughs> I await your urgent response. Okay. Thanks. Good. Well, you know what? We would love to have you. Um, we could fit... 15 people, and if you just send us our credit card, it, your credit card number, it will cost you a million dollars. Do me a favor. Just shoot us an email and say hello. Eat at Virginia at gmail.com. So things we can tell you about. Snakes, <laughs> birthday parties, and we can, we, we, can, can keep, we, we can take you off our email list. We're not list. taking anybody <laughs> off the email list. What's up with the soft shell crab phenomenon this week? I feel like I can't log on to my social media without someone telling me about Usually it's you, but other people. I'm a pretty big fan. Also telling me where the soft shell crab is. Well, it's in season now. Similarly okay. to ramps, we are in season, going out of season, and then this week you're going to have garlic scapes. They happen to be in season. I have a question for you. Yep. Now, I, I realize I'm not the, the biggest food. Have you in the had world. a soft shell crab? I have not, but this is my question. Mm-hmm. If it's an animal, why is there a season for it? Because it molts. Okay. So it like actually takes. It essentially just takes off its exoskeleton and grows a new one. So, that, I mean, think about like a snake. Hey, this email is great right now. You know, they molt, so that's what happens. And they do it in, in they start in May with the molting. Okay. And so how, where have you been around town that is serving soft shell crab that you would recommend to others? I have questions for you first before I talk about this. Okay. Do you like crab? I've eaten crab, like crab meat, like lump crab meat, crab yep. cakes, crab uh, chicken have, Oscar you, with crab on it. You do know? you pick a blue crab? Have you been to a I've crab? I've never done with? that, no. So, but you do like a crab cake. I like the meat, yeah, crab meat. Okay, yeah, so it, essentially, if you think of a soft shell crab, it's just not having to pick that meat out. Okay. You also get maybe some crunchy bits because, you know, you eat the legs, but just not the shell. Okay. Are you you're a little weirded out by this? No, no, I mean, I eat other animals legs so I don't know what the difference is with crabs but what sh- other animals legs do you eat <laughs> um chicken you do just right yes yep you're yeah. correct and okay. you eat the skin too so there you All go right. yep so where have I been I really like dinamo Sure. Yeah, but there's a couple of different ways you can prepare a soft shell crab like actually a myriad ways you can prepare a soft shell crab and dinamo tends to just pan saute them so it is all crab Whereas alewife will bread them and then fry them. So you get a couple of different flavors. Now are they in sandwiches or are they kind of on can be. rice? Or how does one serve it? Well, to so. To your preference. I mean, what would you like to So Dinamo just serves them on a plate piled up with basil. Period. Not on anything. Okay. Um, alewife puts them on top of a pea salad or had been putting on top of a pea salad. Um, long oven. Which, I mean, he might as well just drop the mic because his is on a sandwich and he wood fire grills it and then puts it on top of grilled romaine. Wow. Like grills the lettuce. I might have to, that might have to be my first experience. Kimchi mayonnaise. It's funk on top of funk on top of funk. So when does the season end? Like how long do I have until I need to stop? It kind of is like a bell curve. Okay. So it 
goes up till the end of May, and then it'll start to trickle off as it gets into the warmer months. So you probably should do it now. Should I make a reservation at Long Oven? Yeah, no, not no? for the patio. Okay. You should just go out there and eat on the patio, get a patio crusher drink made by Danny, who's their bar manager, and eat a soft-shell sandwich. You were telling me a little bit about one of your pet peeves when it comes to making reservations at restaurants. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? I'm so mad. You don't look mad. I'm pretty mad. Is it Okay, tell me what's going on. So this last weekend was a couple of different days. It was graduation and also Mother's Day, so lots of restaurants around town pretty busy. Sure. You would imagine they're crushed with individuals that want to eat because they're either they've graduated from college or their moms like food. They're celebrating. Yes. Sure. So my Facebook feed and I've spoken with restaurateurs are full of individuals that have had reservations, like packed reservations, like couldn't take another table and then people just didn't show up. Specifically that weekend, or it's kind of like a seasonal thing? So I think it happens more frequently than restaurateurs would like to m- admit, obviously. But I think that all of the influx of individuals that want to eat at this specific weekend, on this specific weekend, um, it just exacerbated the issue. So would you make a reservation at a restaurant and not show up and not call them. It would never cross my mind to do that. And why is that, Scott? Because you're an actual person? I'm a decent human being? Exactly. So I need you to explain to me why our restaurant's time is not valuable. Because that is what diners are essentially saying. I wonder if people don't think about like the human cost of that. I wonder if it's just one of those things where it's just a restaurant, it's a big business, it's whatever. Like, Explain to me... Why it matters. Explain to me how it affects... They could give that table to somebody else who would show up, and therefore they could sell food, which is what they're going to do. So you're saying these tables are just left empty for an hour? Sure, because, I mean, first of all, let's say that you uh, just don't show. So, you, well, they hold it for 30 minutes, which means that they could... I mean, they could do more covers, which means more diners. Oh God, there's so many reasons. They have to prepare by staffing, so there's that. So you have so many reservations, so you have so many staff. They have to prepare with, like, actual food. So you have to buy what these people have reserved to eat. So you hit soft-shell season. You think that you're going to have 300 people eating in your restaurant at, on Mother's Day, right? Sure. You buy 300 soft-shells. 150 people show up. You have 150 soft-shells that are going to go bad. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely infuriating that people do not honor what they say they're going to do. Do you have friends who do that? Hell no. And I'm, I'm really, really, really upset about it because a lot of restaurants have like 20 seats. So 10 people don't show up. That's half their restaurant. It's just crappy. So guys, if you're going to make a reservation at a restaurant, which you actually should do, I'm not saying don't do that. Go to the place or call and let them know that you're not going to come so they can give the table to a walk-in. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening this you week. You heard it here from Roby. And when you, after you make that reservation and you show up at the restaurant, what should you do? You should eat it, Virginia. This episode of Eat It, Virginia was brought to you by your locally owned and operated McDonald's restaurants. National First Responders Day is October 28th. Show your first responder ID for a free sandwich. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.